0: Father, we do uh, thank you, Lord, um, uh, for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Lord, as we have been in this book for uh, over a year now, Lord, I, um, I-, I thank you for this w- wonderful letter that you've given, um, this, this, um, this historical recording of the life of Christ um, through the eyes of Matthew with a with a heart for the Jewish people, showing that Christ is indeed the Messiah. And so, Father, as we um, cover this short uh, section today, Father, I pray that you would, um, Lord, that you would help us to come into a greater understanding of your deep love and compassion for us. Lord, that you are um, a God who desires uh, To care for us, Lord, to to show uh, compassion uh, to us, Lord. Uh, We pray that we would have a deeper understanding of your character, Lord. Uh, We ask that you would draw us closer to yourself, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, normally I just read the passage at this point, um, but I want to give a little bit of an introduction uh, because what I'm going to do for the reading is is we're going to study the text we're going to go through the text of Matthew but for the reading part what I've done is I've compiled this story from all of the gospels and sort of cut and pasted all of the pieces together um, so that we would have a greater understanding these are uh, behind me these are the 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 sections in the gospels where this story happens Um, this is the story of the multiplication of the fish and loaves that's uh, Jesus feeds 5,000. It's referred to the feeding of the 5,000. Um, it is the only miracle in the, the Gospels um, that appears in all four Gospels. I'm not accounting the resurrection. The resurrection is clearly in each of the Gospels. But the feeding of the 5,000 is, is, is the only miracle that a, it appears in all of them. Um, I, I believe that this miracle is included in the four Gospels because this is a miracle uh, that had particular significance to the disciples as they walked with jesus as they followed him there were many miracles that were done uh, but i think that this is a miracle that was was so supernatural and they had such uh, not only just a a front row seat to what happened but they were actually the ones that participated in this and, and 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 i think that it was a huge lesson to them um so just listen. I'm not reading from Matthew. I'm, I'm going to read this story from all four accounts. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was near and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And he began to teach them many things. Now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. One of his his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. They did so and had all of them sit down. Then He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, He blessed them, and He broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. When they were filled, He said to the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left by those who had eaten. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to, inter- to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, so that we may, um, excuse me, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this story. Lord, I ask that um, as we cover this, um, this story that's been recording of the feeding of the 5,000, Lord, that you would help us um, to understand what happened in context. And Lord, that your spirit would guide us to see the principles of Lord, that we can apply to our t- lives today from this story. Uh, we love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, chronologically, where this story sort of uh, pieces together, Matthew, when he's writing, he's not, he's not going in a linear sort of chronological line, sort of sharing what happened in Jesus's life. He's sort of taken um, overarching themes and sort of placed them together. When we look at the whole of the Gospels, we can see that this story fits following um, Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, I believe it was the second discourse or possibly the third discourse of Jesus, where he warns them about the persecutions, the trials that are going to come to them. Uh, uh, he teaches them about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he, By the end of it, he sends them out two by two. Um, they, they go out in six pairs they were supposed to stay in the, the region of the Galilee. They were not to go beyond the house of Israel, and they were to share the message uh, that Jesus gave them, sort of a short-term missions trip. Um, Matthew doesn't really record um, what happened when they came back. It, there's a little bit with John the Baptist, I think, in uh, chapter 11, where there's, they seem to be back together. Um, but from piecing together the other stories, it seems that the feeding of the 5,000 happens right after they get back. They get back, they begin sharing with Jesus, although we don't know what it is um, that they shared. Um, but we're told that they began to debrief Jesus and to share with Jesus the things that had happened on their trip. Um, then Jesus sort of takes them to the other side of Bethsaida, which I'll get to in a second here, to, to give them some 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 rest, some respite, um, some recovery time from the things that they had endured. Matthew gives us another piece of the puzzle about why they were were going away on a sort of a um, a retreat to sort of have some downtime. So when we come into verse 13, we read, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Um, Last week, we looked at the story. Um, Jesus had gone to his hometown, Nazareth, um, he was run out of town by his 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 uh, his hometown people. Um, when he gets to Capernaum, which is up there, so the story starts at Nazareth over there. They move to Capernaum. That's about 20 miles. Um, there's the Sea of Galilee, about 13 miles there in Capernaum, and Jesus gets word uh, from John the Baptist's disciples that John the Baptist. Um, had been executed by Herod, and we we looked at the story last week about Herodias, how she um, had this deep resentment, this deep h- hatred for John the Baptist because of his confronting her sin and Herod's sin, um, that she um, worked this scheme to have her daughter dance before Herod, who was Herod's stepdaughter and also great niece, um, but we don't need to rehash their family drama there. Um, the girl dances for her mom, uh, or the girl dances because of her mom for Herod. Herod, by the end of it, says, "I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you, what do you want?" And what she said is, "I want, I want John the Baptist head on a platter." And so he didn't really want to execute John. He knew that there'd be great tension because of John the Baptist's huge support for uh, by the people. Um, but now he's at this dinner party. He has guests. This girl had just dance for him. He made this offer. Um, He didn't want to disappoint the company. And so he went ahead and he had John the Baptist executed um, by having his head cut off. He delivered the head to the girl on a platter. The little girl takes it to the mom and says, here you go, mom. Uh, The the disciples of John the Baptist take the body. They have it buried and they report to Jesus what had happened. And so this is where we pick up the story. Now, I think sometimes we look at Jesus like he doesn't necessarily that he didn't have the emotions or the the weightiness of things that we we feel um, we know in John you know the the most well known verse by little kids uh, jesus wept john eleven thirty five uh, Jesus sees the death of his good friend Lazarus, and he knows he's about to raise him from the dead, but when he sees um, when he sees the heartbrokenness of those who'd been suffering. He was so moved with compassion that he begins to to weep over the pain um, that he saw in the people. And I believe that in this story, Jesus, although he's God, he also is fully man. John the Baptist is his cousin. Um, He was deeply loved by by all of the disciples, by many in, in the Galilee region and all of, really, in Israel. And so when this news came out, I believe that this was a hard blow to Jesus. That this is not only the death of of someone that he loved, but it was done in such a, a horrific way um, that the weightiness of them I think was just was overwhelming. And and he decided to get his guys and just to get them away so they could have some time away. Um, I think that the people were flocking to Jesus, or it's worth considering. That John the Baptist's death would have had a ripple effect to many, many people. I, I think of great cha- tragedies when they happen. Like 9/11 was a big one. Our whole nation sort of mourns. Um, just yesterday, um, Judge uh, Scalia passed away. I, I mispronounced his name last service, so I'm like open it. But, but there's like there's a ripple effect when somebody dies. I know that just. I think it was last week was the the, the year anniversary of the Coptic Christians that were executed by Isis on the beach by beheading and and um like I know some Coptic Christians in Egypt from my time in the service and so when I saw that even that form of of killing there's a there's just a death is one thing that's bad but then when death comes a certain way there's a like a sickness a weightiness that that overwhelms us and I don't think that Jesus and his guys were immune from this this feeling, this loss of John the Baptist. And Matthew tells us when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself, which we know they're in Capernaum. They would have gotten gotten the boat, sort of paddled or sailed across up to Bethsaida. We know that Bethsaida, it says it's a desolate, desolate place. Um, There's absolutely nothing in this region. this is in the boonies. This is, you want to get away, get away from people. There, There is nothing up in this region. And so we see that uh, he's in a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him, on, followed him on foot from the cities. And so the speculation is, as they're getting in the boat or not, the speculation, we just, we're, we're aware of this. Um, this isn't a lake like Dixon Lake or Lake Wolford. Or um, like a smaller lake where you can kind of see the whole lake. If you're out there fishing on a boat, um, like if I'm in Hideaway, I don't even know if there's water in Hideaway Lake anymore because it's so empty. So let's say let's upgrade to Lake Wolford. But I'm pretty sure I could be out fishing in the middle of Lake Wolford. Somebody could walk up and be like, "Hi, Gunner, how are you doing?" Well, the Sea of Galilee think more along the lines of Lake Tahoe, where you're looking way at the horizon. You you could easily. Um, Hide who you are on a boat. It's a small fishing boat. But but as Jesus is going out, somebody identified him out there. That's Jesus and his gang of disciples. Um, I'm not sure what motivated them to follow. We know that there were sick people. We we know that Jesus uh, taught them. We we know that at uh, one of the accounts, the people are described as being sheep without a shepherd, and which leads me to to ponder the question. Where the people rattled also by the by the death of John the Baptist, Um, when there's something like this catastrophic that happens to a group of people, um, the 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 need is highlighted for somebody to sort of shepherd them, which Jesus is the great shepherd. Um, But these people flee to this this desolate location of Bethsaida um, from from the whole region. It says like they're, I mean they're 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 running on foot. Okay, they they followed him on foot, maybe not running, I had running in my mind that they're all, um, they followed him on foot from the cities, going to verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. Um, I don't know how you guys feel when you are overwhelmed with uh, life, and you've been busy, and... You want to take a little three-day weekend like a lot of people are doing this weekend. Tomorrow's a holiday, apparently. Like, I didn't realize this. So um, you, you look forward to some some time away. I re- I'm more of an introvert, so I recharge my batteries by being like, throw me in the woods with nobody. Like, my immediate family, they don't charge my batteries. Anna's the exact opposite. She wants to be thrown into a crowd of, like, 50,000 people, and that gets her batteries, like, charged. I don't understand how that works. Um, So our vacations were like a his and her sort of thing. Um, But I'm reading this story from my eyes. Like the guys have been out on their their little missionary journey. They're they're tired. There's the news of John the Baptist. We know that Jesus is trying to go away to a secluded spot. If I was Jesus, which I'm not, and you all say amen, and I look at the shore, Um, Matthew tells us at the very end in verse 21 that there were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children, um, co- conservative estimates by n- people who don't want to blow up the numbers of people that want to try to keep it reasonable with the women and children. The speculation is that there could have been anywhere from 15,000 to 25,000 people, which is a huge... I I, I think that's a little more than half of, of Petco Park, at the ballpark. Um, if I was them... And we're in the boat, and I see this whole crowd of people flocking to the shoreline. I'd be like, Jesus, let's, um, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's just start paddling to the other side. Or better yet, how about we just go to the middle of the lake and just drop the oars and just sit there? That's what I would have done. Because I wanted some, you know, this is like they're trying to get some me time. They, they, they want to rest and recuperate. But then I see Jesus and how he responds when he looks at the crowd. Um, I, I don't know which one of the accounts, but it says that he looked and he said that they were sheep without a shepherd uh, here. He says that he felt compassion for them. He looked at the people, um, their hurt, their pain, their sorrow, their they're they're wandering, sort of looking for help. And Jesus clearly demonstrates that people are a priority for him this is a lesson that i constantly have to learn um I, I see that in the midst of this story to me i see this huge inconvenience like i'm trying to go on vacation and then everybody shows up on this vacation spot like hey we wanted to surprise you we're here with you and it seems like an inconvenience but Jesus sees this as an as an opportunity to minister to people. Um, and so he goes and he ministers to them. He begins teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. We're told that he heals, he heals those who are sick. Uh, he's caring for them. This story from the first time I think I heard a sermon preached on it was one that uh, the point that was made and, and continues to be repeated in my life, is that if you want to serve Jesus, if you want to walk with him, serving him is all about inconveniences. Um, there are things that present themselves that it's just not, they never present themselves at the most ideal time. And if people are the priority, then you sort of you say, okay, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to please you. I'm willing to, 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 to trust you as as you go forward as I go forward sort of in this um this this situation um, over the years i've i've shared um, it's funny because now i'm you know i've been a pastor for i think this is like my ten year anniversary of being ordained and leaving the ministry and I think about i don 't know seven years ago or so as a pastor and and getting calls about needs and things. Like you're if a pastor, you have to kind of go. Like you're 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 on call. That's part of life as a pastor. But I remember driving home from some call late at night, I don't remember what it was. I, I it was something. And I remember thinking to myself that being a pastor has taught me how to be a Christian because I, I realized that I while I was sort of obligated to respond to a person in need, um I, I wasn't doing it because I was a pastor, I was doing it because I was a Christian. And, and um, but I'm so, th- um, I think, thick scold, and, and so God, it required me to become a pastor for God to show me what the Christian life is all about. And, and just seeing Jesus' willingness to, to minister to all of these people, um, it, it was encouraging to me to, to, to realize that God often presents opportunities to us through things that seem inconvenient. Um, so I'd encourage you to be inconvenienced this week or to look for for inconveniences that maybe God's doing something that you're trying to get out of, but really God's trying to present an opportunity for you to minister to somebody. Uh, moving into verse 15, we read, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Um, So thinking about this story, like if I just reflect on my mind and I kind of like rehearse the facts, I kind of say, oh, the disciples were mean. They just kind of wanted to shoo everybody away. Jesus is the good guy. He feeds everybody. But really in their defense, you're out in the middle of nowhere. There's upwards of 25,000 people 5,000 are men, so then there's, you know, you say 5,000 women, and then there's a bunch of kids running around. The disciples, they seem to be demonstrating compassion. And I'm convinced that, that when we are compassionate, uh, we are being Christ-like in our in our actions. And so the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've been teaching all day. You've, um, you've healed a bunch of people. But you need it you're a little long-winded we're out in the middle of nowhere kids need to get their pajamas on they need to be fed they need to be put to bed there's nowhere out here if you keep talking it's going to be dark pretty soon and the people are going to kind of be stranded so so really they're it's, it seems to me that they're be, they're being considerate of the people who are there following jesus now not in matthew's account um but in another account, my guess is it's probably Luke because he, he says a lot. Um, is that we're told that Jesus then approaches Philip. And it would have been logical to ask Philip for, so, hey, um, so where's, where's, uh, where's the um, the little Caesars around here so we could pick up some $5 hot and ready pizzas? Because Philip was from that region of Bethsaida. Um, of the disciples, he was the one that was from that location. He's like, hey, uh, where do we get food around here? And then we're told that the reason that Jesus asked that question to Philip was he had in mind that he wanted to, to test Philip, to to allow Philip to sense a little bit of the panic. Um and Philip's like, Jesus, there is there is no little Caesars. There they're like, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing out here. And even if we even if we had an unlimited supply of funds. Like, how would we possibly like d- pay for all? Like, I'm not on middle supply. If we had a, he gave a huge portion of money. Like, I think he said 20 denarii, but I'm not looking at. It. But he said if if we had this much bread, that that wouldn't even be enough. Like, I, I start thinking about 25,000 people. Like, I've never been in the food service industry, but I'm pretty certain that um, when I go to Petco Park, I have Petco. I think baseball season's approaching. This is a time when we could be excited for the Padres by a few games into the season. The season's over. Um, so I'm still in the – I'm excited about the Padres right now. But say there's 30,000 people at Petco Park. I can walk up to the stand and just get a hot dog, order a hot dog. But behind that one hot dog, there's like a whole crew of people sort of managing like the food that needs to be brought in. How many, how many hot dogs do you buy compared to buns? Um, the reality is, is I've learned as a pastor at the church doing events. If you buy a hundred hot dogs, you only need to buy sixty buns because they don't they don't go out evenly matched. Um, that's a different story, though. <clears throat> but I'm looking at Philip. Jesus says, "Well, where we need to feed these people? Where do we go?" And Philip comes back like, first off, we don't have enough money to pay." For enough food for a fraction of these people, and besides the point, there's there's nowhere to get food, and so then Jesus sort of t- tells them here verse sixteen, um, but Jesus said to them they they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, and so in this whole exchange, the disciples are like, what are we gonna do? Like, how do we how do we handle this mess? We don't have. Anything to give, or even what we what they're gonna discover is they have very little. Like, how, how's this gonna solve the problem? And so, in verse seventeen it says that they said to him, "We we have here only five fishes. Uh, I'm sorry, five loaves and two fish." <clears throat> so, pulling from the other accounts, they they basically Jesus says, "Hey, go out amongst all of these people and get a survey of the food situation." see what we can pull together to, to to provide food. And so I have the 12 disciples in my mind sort of going uh, people group to people group to people group of these thousands and thousands. Do you have any food? No, we don't have anything. Do you have any food? No, we don't have anything. Do you have any food? No, we don't have anything. Do you have any food? No, we don't have anything. And in the 20,000 people or 10,000, however many people it is, um, there's one little boy that has five loaves and two fish. And don't think like... Uh, don't think like he's got a big old swordfish that he's towing around. This is like little sardines, little like Ritz crackers. I, I think in, in, in present day, um, if we were to modernize this story into today, this would be one little boy has like one little Lunchables pack where there's like five crackers, five slices of meat, um, some cheese and a thin mint for dessert sort of thing. There was one mom in the whole group who sent her son with a snack I find this story so encouraging because <laughs> Anna and I are terrible with snacks. We, I mean, she even gave me permission to make fun of ourselves for this. I have a friend that I, like every now and again, we'll have like a dad's day out where we go to the wild animal park. And we're like, hey, let's meet the park. We'll take the kids. We'll go there. And so we have our 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 double jo- double jogging strollers. We're kind of walking we kinda of look like a couple, I guess, and just to, like we're kinda of like and and then he that was uncalled for, I didn't either, but it gets a little like you get weird looks. And and uh so then with his kids, he's like like underneath his stroller, he's got like amazing snacks. Like little Oreos, little goldfish, little like stuff I don't even know what it is. And he's just feeding his kids and my kids are kinda of looking at him. And he's like, "Oh, we have plenty." So he starts feeding our kids, and I'm like, going, "Oh man, the snack gets me every time. Like, I never remember snack. Like, I'm thinking diapers. Like, I, I get diapers." And we'll, um, and so we leave, and I'm like, "Next time, I'm gonna bring snack." He's like, "No, you're not gonna bring snack next time." And so I find this story encouraging. Of 20,000 people, there's only one kid that's mom sent him with snack. And so. <sighs> The disciples are going around asking, who's got food? Who's got food? And here's this little boy. And he says, I I have this. I have these little like barley cakes. I mean, they're little, little barley cakes. And the fish were like sardines. Some some suggested that they were like pickled fish that would be essentially like relish, which doesn't sound that great to me. But if you go to Israel, like you go for breakfast and there's like fish chunks. I mean, that's kind of like fish is real common. Um, so, So this would be a tiny little... Snack for this boy. And he says, I don't have much, but I have this, and you can take it. I contrast myself with that little boy. And I think this isn't going to do much for 20,000 people. If I actually brought snack and I had it, I'm not giving up my snack. I mean, like, well, this isn't going to satisfy everybody. I'm just going to eat it so at least one person will be satisfied. But the boy gives it up. He gives this gift. It was small, but God used this gift that He gave, and it was huge. Um, it's amazing what God can do through things that we we give. Um, I, in my younger years, I I wasted a ton of money on stupid stuff that I'm embarrassed to even like admit. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about. Um, buying stuff from infomercials on TV, which I've done that too, and I've regretted a bunch of stuff that I've bought online, or not online, but commercials. Um, But I've learned over the years that when I've offered a gift to God in faith, like I've never lived to sort of regret it. And um, like this little boy was equivalent of like the story of the widow's mite, this widow who threw like less than a penny into the offering and, and Jesus praised her. Like it, it doesn't take a lot to like demonstrate that. Like we as a church are a small church. Like we are a small church, um, but I'm continually sort of blown away by things that God has done through this little church. It doesn't mathematically, it doesn't make sense to me. Like if I just look from from a from a a, a pure like, the numbers don't align. They don't add up. I mean, they, if you go to Debbie, they align like everything's square. But like how God multiplies and how God cares and, and provides in ways that I've seen. Um, the, the one right now, we're about three weeks out from going to Israel. And last summer, when Michael Nichols, the, the, one of the missionaries that we support um, in Africa, he was they came over during the week with their kids. And we were sitting around chatting, and, and he had made... Um, he'd made mention about the trip to Israel about how he'd like really love to go someday. And I'm like, you've never been to Israel. Like you're, you know, you've never been, I, I would have thought that he had been. And he's like, no, I like really want to go. And I, you know, he starts telling me, he's like, I'd love, cause I think within two weeks I could be, I could be fluent in Hebrew. And I'm like, the guy has what I think is the true gift of tongues. I mean, that's, he's with Bible, like Wycliffe. So he, he translates languages. He goes places. He picks up the language in two weeks. Um, and I talked, I'm like, you know, like we're going the spring and, and I'm kind of like doing this tug of war in my brain. Because I don't want to make any like big offer. I'm like, you know, like maybe, maybe I might be able to raise some support for you. Um, would you like, would you be interested? Like, I don't know how much I can raise, but maybe I can raise a little bit and you can kind of raise a little bit and and we can get you there he's like i would be like i would go in a heartbeat And i'm like really cuz if i do this we'll see and and so he left that night and when he left i felt like a little kid jumping off the high dive for the first time you know you go to the edge like i can do this you take that step off the 10 foot high dive and as soon as you do you're like what in the world did i just do as you're falling to your death from the high dive And I'm like, oh, I just put my foot in my mouth. Now he's going to think that we're sending him to Israel. He's all excited. And like, there's no, there's like, what was I thinking? I should know better by now. And so a few days later, I checked the mail for the church. And already like somebody randomly, before I'd even said anything, there was a check there for like a a substantial amount of money saying, we just want to um, help somebody go to Israel. And I was just like, just overwhelmed. And then as we announced it to the church, um, I don't know who gave what, but but I, I know that there were a lot of little donations over the course of, you know, a few months. So much so that by, by like, six months, we had raised enough not only to send Michael, but that Chris Guess, our missionary in Romania, that both of these guys have been funded by our church to go to Israel on this trip, which there's a, there's a huge thank you in this. Um, but really, like there's an overwhelmedness to God, like how, like I, like we have a small church. The fact that we're sending two, like this is a, it's not cheap to go to Israel, and the fact that money was raised for these two guys to go is, um, I, I just see the story of, you know, this little boy offers his lunch, and God does great things with this, and and to see our little church and these gifts, that that over the years there's too many to list, but how God has used. Small things to do great things in people's life is is overwhelming. Like, like I don't want to get used to it at all. But at the same time, I feel bad that my faith, like in in the early stages of these things, when I feel like God's prompting me to do something, that I have so much anxiety and fear, and I don't trust that He's going to like provide for whatever it is. But that God is so faithful um, to care for our needs. Okay, where? Where are we? Thank you, Alberto. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Um, Okay, so now verse 19. So ordering the people to sit down on the grouse, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. So we know from the other accounts that we're told that this is, we are um, weeks before the Passover, so it was around this time of year, um, it's springtime. Uh, this was a huge grassy field, R- really beautiful time of the year. It's kind of like this weather that we've been having. You go down and I haven't really had to pull out the weed whacker yet, but everything's green. So it's kind of, it's the balance of where it's like, oh, this is really nice. The weed whacker is still taunting me, so I haven't had to pull it out yet. But it's green enough that you can go outside and you're like, ah, it's just beautiful weather. It's like a great day to go to the beach or the picnic and this is this is sort of the setting that I imagine from the other accounts that we were told it was a grassy field. Um, they sat down probably in groups of fifty to a hundred people where they're just all around and the other accounts were told that there were uh twelve baskets like I wonder where did these baskets come from? like did they just travel with baskets or was it did there was were these i don't know if there's no it doesn't say anywhere that they were miraculously sort of crea- like- pre- created but there just happens to be baskets to distribute food there. Um, There's 12 disciples. Uh, Jesus has the bread and the reading of it that that, that as Jesus would sort of stock up their basket, then they would go out. So the disciples really are the ones who are seeing this miracle. I figure the crowds, they're just, they're eating and they don't really, they're like, oh, if I was in the crowd, I think, well, I didn't have any food to offer, but man, somebody was carrying a ton of food. Like somebody, like I like who thinks miracle right off the bat? it's like, oh, somebody over there has food, but the disciples they're the ones who went around begging for food and they came back with with like enough bread to hold in one hand and like two little fish in the other hand, and they're watching Jesus fill their baskets from nothing, and to the Jewish mind, this has to this has to tie in to the wandering through the wilderness where God provided manna just. You know what is this like this 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 provision from heaven that daily would come to feed them that these twelve disciples that you know the twelve tribes of Israel like there's a lot of similarities that we see that God is just sort of filling their baskets and they're they're distributing it and and I think that that's why that the disciples are the the not the four Luke wasn't a disciple but. Um, neither was Mark, but but why? Okay, so why this story? I think appeared in four of the Gospels is this was a significant thing for them to learn of God's provision and His care for them, um, and to know His capacity and His desire um, to be compassionate. And I think that there's a lesson that we can trust God uh, to care for us as well. And so they go out. Um, let's skip ahead. I got them all. Where are we at here? We're in verse 19. Breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. Disciples give them to the crowds. Um, And then verse 20, verse A, it says, um, uh, And they all ate and were satisfied. And this word for satisfied, um, the picture that you need to imagine is, is Thanksgiving dinner. You eat your dinner and you're full. You're completely satisfied. And then dessert comes, and then you eat that, and you're just sort of like, I can't even eat another crumb. That every person was just so full and so satisfied um, from what they were given. And that's the state that Jesus left. And there's leftovers that the guys go back and they pick up the crumbs and they fill their baskets and they bring it back with Jesus. Um, just, Just a beautiful picture of his care. It says, they picked up what was left over the broken pieces, uh, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate and women and children. And so um, I want to share a story that I think is, um, I think it models uh, this beautiful picture of, of what these guys experienced and some lessons um, that we we can take to, take to heart um, and, and learning to walk with God, learning to walk by faith, Learning to understand that God cares for us and He'll provide for us and He'll sustain us. There's a book that when people, um, I over the years, I think it's still Anna's favorite book of all time. She's nodding. It is. Um, it, it's a book that when when we baptize a person as a gift, we give this book. It's um, by Darlene Diablo Rose. She died a couple years ago, and, um, and the book is called Evidence Not Seen. And so her story is she was she she had married. A, a, she, she entered the mission field in, like, the Papua New Guinea area, somewhere in the world. I'm probably off on the country, but somewhere uh, over there in the Pacific. And um, she married a man who had been a missionary for a long time. They get married. She moves over there, and as they, as she moves there, um, there's warnings being put out because World War II was kicking off, and they they gave uh, notices to all of the missionaries, "Hey, it's best that you evacuate. Go back home. It's not safe for you any, here anymore." Um, she felt like they, there was a group of them that they felt like God had called them there, and that, and even with the war, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna leave. And the last boat to take the people back came, and and the the stern warning it, it really came out sort of um, sternly, kind of listen. This is the last boat that will be going back to the United States. This is your last opportunity. Um, you're here alone if you stay, and there's no help for you. And so they really wrestled with sort of like, do they get on that boat? Do they not get on the boat? And they opted to trust God. Um, That night, the boat ends up being attacked and it sinks and everybody's killed on that boat. And the story sort of unfolds about how uh, she's taken POW uh, um, by the Japanese and her whole encounter sort of in this, um, between the prison camp to uh, her prison cell, um, sort of, getting beaten by this guy, Mr. Yamanji, who is like a ruthless man, but also witnessing to him. So there's like a little like weird dynamic of, with them. Um, not not weird, in his, weird in that he was intrigued by her. I think like Herod with John the Baptist. And so the story that I want to read um, dealing with God's provision, I got choked up last service and I'll try not to get choked up again here. Um, when Mr. Yamanji and the Kemp Kemptai officers had had... Officers had gone, and the guard had closed the door. It hit me. I didn't bow to those men. Oh, Lord, I cried. Why didn't you help me remember? They'll come back and beat me. Lord, please, not back to the hearing room again. Not now, Lord. I can't. I just can't. I heard the guard coming back and knew he was coming for me. Struggling to my feet, I stood ready to go. He opened the door and walked in, and with a sweeping gesture, laid at my feet bananas. They're yours, he said, and they're all from Mr. Yamanji. I sat down in stunned silence and counted them. There were 92 bananas. In all my spiritual experience, I've never known such shame before my Lord, and I pushed the bananas into the corner and wept before him. Lord, forgive me. I'm so ashamed I couldn't trust you enough to get even one banana for me. Just look at them. There are almost a hundred. In the quiet of the shadowed cell, he answered back within my heart, that's what I delight to do. The exceedingly abundant above anything you ask or think. I knew in those moments that nothing is impossible to my God. After God assured me that it was his delight to send me those bananas, my heart was solved and it took all the character I possessed not to eat all 92 in one sitting. After months of meager rations of rice porridge, I knew that to gorge could make me deathly ill. So I portioned out as many bananas per day, saving the greener ones for last. This was God's provision and strength began to flow into my body. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so I share this story, like I, I should have given more of a lead in, but she's from her prison cells, she can see banana trees and she's just praying for one banana because she's uh, dysentery has so destroyed her body and she's so starving. And to see how God provides all of these things for her in this really this, this situation that seemed impossible. Um, and this seems to be the story the significance of the feeding of the 5000 I, just sort of ending with 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 three points it is when i look at the story clearly christ is shown at being as being all powerful he's all knowing he's all sufficient he has great compassion as he looks out amongst us he desires to care for us he desires to provide for us everything's going to be okay because god loves us and then I look at this little this little boy, who he didn't really have much to give, but he gave it. And then as as we give, and as we maybe don't feel like that we have much significance, or there's not much that we can do, um, like just to to offer it up and to give it and to see what God does. I, there's a thing that we're we're in the sort of the process of that I don't like. It's one of another one of these things that I'm kind of like at the stick. Sinking feeling in my stomach, um, but probably like a month ago, Christina Frederick sent me this message. I'm on a ride along, and I get this message on my phone, and she's like, "Hey, Gunner, I tagged you on something in Facebook," and and I just, is this something that the church would be willing to to get behind? And so I read this post. There's a lady that I that I've met a couple times, and she goes through her story of of um, they're in an 800 square foot house, and but it's it's two story, and her daughter basically had a child and was in in like really difficult straits and and uh basically they brought the daughter home and they're now they're kind of squeezed into the house and and uh what they're trying to do is a stair, stairwell and frame up stuff. I'm like, "Well, in theory it sounds like I'm all for it in heart, but I don't know like what we can do." And I know like Rick Reeves are like, yeah, well, yeah, we just cut a hole and put some steps." And we got a couple contractors and I'm kind of going, "Oh, wow, this is a uh, you know, so so be praying be prepared for more information. I, um, I she's like, well, we go to Mexico and build houses. Maybe we can do something here to kind of help. And so, so I go, like, well, I don't know what we can do. Don't offer too much. Don't, uh, don't make no promises. But, but this could be an opportunity, f- you know, for us to offer this small gift that could be huge in this person's life. Um, and I, like from the apostles, what I learned in this story is just like I've said already, is that god cares for us he'll provide he'll he'll meet our needs um it's his delight to care for us he created us he loves us um so much so that he sent christ to die for us that we might have relationship with him and so father we do thank you and praise you for this day um lord i thank you for the story of the feeding of the five thousand. i um i thank you lord um that this story demonstrates your character and your nature. Lord, that you, the one who spoke creation into existence, that you created us, Lord. And in this world where things are so difficult and so trying and circumstances can be really rough, Lord, it's easy for us to lose sight of... um, where you are and where you're working and and maybe even questioning if you're there. And so, Lord, we're reminded in this story that you are all-powerful, you're all-mighty. You are the only one who can create out of nothing. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, um, that you do, um, you provide for us, um, you sustain us, Lord. And Father, I ask that as we go about our day this week or or go about our lives this week, Lord, that you would help um, help us to see opportunities, Lord, that we can be compassionate to other people. Um, Lord, that we desire to be more like you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.